Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what makes them special to us. I'm your host, Paul Gerberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back indeed. And then I thought we could, uh, we just add a new line that rhymes each show. So then you'll say like, it is our sacred screed. And then I'll be like, da 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 And then as the I mean, I like this. I'm going to have to start taking notes. Um, but uh, uh, I, we might have to plan that one for next time because it's going to feel real forced if we try and get it in here now. <laughs> well, Use some yeah. very choppy editive and something that rhymes with deed. Exactly. But yeah, why not? We'll we'll build a little intro legacy for ourselves as we as we go along. I like um, it. How is this beautiful springtime evening treating you? Uh, it's also beautiful out here in sunny Southern California. Um, you know, it's uh, it's quite nice. It's quite nice. My work has uh, slowed down just a touch as we're about to hit spring break, and the nice thing that's given me the opportunity to do is go back into uh, the, the certification course that I have for teaching online, Spock, the self-paced online Canvas knowledge course, and find all the awful gaping holes that I have left in the course, especially at the back end. But part of that's really fun because I get to uh, patch holes like um, module introduction pages. And so each of my modules focuses on a different kind of topic and learning objective for teaching online. Uh, and because the course is Star Trek themed as per its namesake, I get to do some image searching, root around online for, for different Spock related things. I found a, um, a, a blog uh, called the Snarky Astronomer and, and she has curated some rather, a uh, good doctor in, in Austin has curated some rather excellent side-by-side -side, um, animated gifts of like Spock and, and another scene that he's in. So, um, you know, just one of the, the various uh, Spock related things and uh, needless to say, my Star Trek roots are deeply, deeply tied to uh, my my legacy, uh, my legacy, <laughs> my origin, actually, and and my legacy. No, um, as a geek, I uh, would not have probably come to gaming without Star Trek. Who knows? How about yourself? How's it going? Uh, it's great. Yeah, we we hit almost 80 degrees today, which is insane. Um, and yeah, you know, the light is taking on that that summery quality almost. Uh, uh, yeah, feeling feeling real good. Had a had a little campfire with some friends, and getting to come together outside again, see each other's faces is uh, what can you say? It's the best. Summer sunshine, outdoor activity, smoke inhalation. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, smoke inhalation does. Uh, it's not quite summer in Southern California yet. Oh, uh, right. We did have an earthquake the other morning, but uh, no no fires so far. But I was okay. shaken awake at like four in the morning or something by four point Wake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, uh, as is our tradition, I will put you to the increasingly difficult question of what's your fifth favorite game? This is a, an excellent question. Obviously, Thank it's you. possibly the most important question we address on this podcast. Um, <laughs> this one was like kind of weirdly easy for me, uh, only because I realized there was something I was absolutely kind of like deeply neglecting in terms of a game I would love to play virtually anytime, a game that was very impactful in terms of like my second or third stage, third stage of engagement with video games. Um, so when I got out to Madison in 2006 and I started doing work with Games Learning Society Research Group, um, obviously I was already playing World of Warcraft. That is not my fifth favorite game. 
It will eventually make an appearance on this list only because the list will be long enough. But I will just preemptively mention that the problem with WoW is I can't feature going back to it. Yeah. I enjoyed it so much, but I just can't feature going back to it. That's a conversation for another time. But I got myself a PS2 uh, for real cheap, and I needed to um, needed to, to, to get some things to, to play on it. And uh, one of the games that was highly, highly recommended to me was Katamari Damacy. Ah. Uh, and it was actually, it is not that game, but its sequel, We Love Katamari, that I'm going to rank right up here at number five. With the possibility that on a later revision, it might even creep higher because I love that game so damn much. To me, it is it is better than the original um, and better than any of the uh, you know subsequent attempts that have been made at a Katamari release. It was just kind of a refinement on the original, absolutely just bizarre, outrageous game idea that works and, and just plays like magic. Yeah, and the music, I mean, the music is so special and so well done. Like, I remember real early on in our friendship, basically losing my mind on, it must have been Rick's couch, listening to this track from Katamari Damacy. And uh, yeah, those, those, I mean, we still get those sorts of games sometimes, those crazy Japanese kinds of experimental games. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we get fewer of them or or they're just not as high profile or it, it seems like something has shifted. I think I can agree with uh, like it, it might be a question of profile. It might be a question of the preponderance of indie games. So there's kind of different types of strange coming from different places. But man, there's nothing that has quite that quality of just weird playfulness um, that definitely is a, part of it is a Japanese affect of, of game design. I, I hope they do another one. And I hope you'd think with modern, the power behind modern consoles, like you'd really be able to do some incredible stuff with the premise of that game. So hopefully we'll, we'll see that again. I mean, it wouldn't be bad. I, there have been a few attempts to kind of do it subsequently. Uh, I think with, without, uh, without Kita, um, and he's had some other kind of odd projects since that certainly have ranked high on the level of weirdness. Um, like Nobi Nobi Boy, was that him? Yeah, yeah, that was him. Okay, yeah. Very, very weird game, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think there was an inflection point for game design. And part of it is that like on the PS2, that game ran just beautifully. It was mm -hmm. a perfect level of render for the style of graphics. So like, you know, up-resed re-releases, like there was one that they released at one point that was kind of like a packaged up of one and two on, I think, the Xbox or something. Um, and sure, it's a little bit shinier and a little bit crisper, but it's a game that didn't need to be. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's my number five. What about you? My number five, uh, I had to give it to Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo. Um, kind of going back to what I said last week, you know, part of my eighth idea for these rankings is how much space does the game still occupy in my in my mind how much would i actually want to play it today and i would love to play that game today uh and it's still you know it's still sort of in my own personal cultural consciousness um you know i remember uh the first time i saw it it was at a video rental store in janesville when i was a kid and i don't think i even really knew that it was a an actual game and going up to it and hearing the, the music and it was like in a ghost house and it was just like endless mystery. And, you know, every few weeks or something, I'd get to go into that video store and play for another five minutes. And it was just, you know, it was like playing Metal Gear at Target. It was like 
oh, I need this, you know. Um, and it was a, a few years, I think, before I got a, a SNES and, and was able to play through it. Um, and, you know, finding all the hidden exits and, you know, level design, Nintendo at its, you know, at, at the peak of their of their 2D game in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, just the yeah, that does touch on um, a theme from our first episode in terms of that uh, the what the world that a game hints at um, mm-hmm. to a to a young child, right? Um, which I actually do have a, a minor correction or addendum regarding that. I think I was probably five or six years old when I uh, when I first had that encounter with River Raid. But back okay. to back to uh, to your own story. What I really like about this choice is that you have on the one hand what that game hinted at from that those first touches that first experience but then the delivery that like hey it truly is an epic game of like just immaculate design mm-hmm. yeah and you know i remember at least once i've gone through and gotten all the hidden exits and did all like the crazy bonus stages and you know and thinking back to like the forest of illusion world where it's you're kind of stuck like you need to find the right exit before you can progress and it's this again this mysterious uh, puzzle for you to, to figure out. Um, so yeah, I think that that gives it a, a certainly, you know, well-deserved number five from me. Well, we will move into our next segment. And Moses, I would love it if you would tell me, what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Well, right before we started this podcast, I was like, oh, I've got 10 minutes. Oh God, maybe it's only five minutes. I'm going to just start this up and see how long it takes to get that Zoom invite. And I was like, I'm throwing some loop hero. Just one more loop. Just one more loop. Yep. Just one more loop. Um, so I'll put that at the center of what I've been playing uh, and just, just focus on that again for, for today. There have been some other games, obviously, filling in some of the edges. Um, so you and I kind of offline touched base on this question of uh, I'd unlocked the, is it the apothecary that makes the potions? Or the the doctor's hut or something. The like doctor's that. hut, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one of these days that's going to stick. I just <laughs> don't spend enough time on, this, on that screen looking at what's what. But I'm sure that as I engage with the game more and accrue more resources that I will uh, have increased opportunities to do so. And I was kind of saying, you know, the only dissatisfaction I've had with this game thus far is that... Um, you, you unlock that and it tells you, oh yeah, you're going to get to go out with some potions now. Um, and for some reason, I really thought that I would be able to activate the use of those potions, which on reflection, it, it's probably obviously not right. There's nothing active that you do at all. The whole game is meant to be largely an auto runner, right. not entirely an auto runner. Um, so maybe I shouldn't have had that, but it, I just really wish that a tooltip or something had indicated to me like you'll use them when you need them or something like that because mm-hmm. it did lead me to doing doing a web search and you know i'm not super spoiler reverse but in a game like this that's clearly unfolding uh i'm trying to avoid a, a, any spoiler content nothing was spoiled good mm-hmm. news good news people obviously if you're listening to this podcast there are all kinds of spoilers that get dropped constantly about all sorts of things um, so yeah, I guess we hadn't really thought about that. So yeah, there were, there are two things we, we spoke about the other being getting new cards, which, which we'll probably get to, but yeah, that's next up. what do you think it was about the potions that made you really want to look this up as opposed to, oh, I'll just do a few runs. Maybe it, there are 15 minutes at the longest. So not much to lose if I don't know exactly what's, what's going on. Um, it, it's probably just my psychology, but it was more along <laughs> the lines of, um, it was the second thing that I built out from the campfire for the developing village. 
And it felt like a lot of resources. It felt like it took quite a ways to get there, relatively yeah. speaking. And so I wanted to know how it worked, like more or less immediately, because the first thing that you build out is the kitchen, more or less by default. I think maybe in theory, you could save up and build something else out instead. Um, and that's obvious because it says what it does. Hey, every time you come back here, you're going to get more health. And lo and behold, that's exactly how it works, right? Um, like when you when you lap, it gives you... Uh, right. Or is it day breaks? I don't well, know. It's one of those. Yeah, two. yeah. It's it's one of those two. It does a replenishing effect. I think it's when you when you pass back by the campfire. Um, and so I was like, oh, a new mechanic. I I want to know how it works because I feel like I earned it. Mm-hmm. So I think my I, I'm going to be more patient with that mm-hmm. now. I it's not a huge critique actually. It's really honestly not a huge critique. It's a very it feels like a very small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Alternatively, I, I feel like you do have a legitimate uh, critique, which I'd have to imagine they'll be resolving because it's not the first time I've I've heard it. But you earned some new cards and were obviously excited to use them, uh, and they they weren't there <laughs> in a way. That's a legitimate critique for sure, um, because there's a tiny little sparkly that kind of indicates, hey, you can go adjust your deck here. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of assumed, like, oh, you know what? Uh, these will probably spawn based off of the loop mm-hmm. because there are certain cards that already behave that way. Like you, as far as I've seen, you don't get a treasury popping up on your first loop or even your second typically. Right. You maybe you that very well later, could, but, but so far, yeah, right. There might be some probability function there, but it feels like they spawn more frequently on later loops. Now, when you say spawn, do you mean the card spawns in your hand? In your hand. Right. Okay. Card spawning to your hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, it'll probably work like that. There are these new things that might theoretically pop up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I hadn't had that expectation, it might have pushed me to explore a little bit more. But I also genuinely think having a really direct call out, seeing as it is an important mechanic for the game to say, right. you've unlocked your first, you know, or first and second cards, like, why don't you go now and see if you want to shop, like change up your deck? Yeah, would be would be a good idea. Because um, yeah, the moment I went in there and I was like, oh okay, this is cool, and I was like, oh, I'm going to load all these things. Oh, I can't load them all out. What am I going to trade off instead? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good feeling. It's got that good deck building feeling, and uh, you know, um, there must be some value to the swamps, and I don't know what it is yet because the mosquitoes are really, really fucking annoying. Yes, um, but I keep dropping them because I want to see kind of what happens. I don't remember if they cause uh, a blooming. Meadow. That's uh, one they, of those mechanics I, I like stumbled across is yeah. like, oh, certain things you create that I might have mentioned that last week, but yeah. Um, so yeah, Loop Hero's got me going. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm starting to also like some of the little like signifiers, like when there's an effect on a creature in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what is it that I'm seeing where these weeds wind up consuming? you know, a creature. And then I realized it had the little notation and there was the little indicator. Oh yeah. Right. That's cost of that other card that I dropped the carnivorous glade or whatever it is. Right. Um, how cool is that? And yeah. how it like contributes to, um, I mean, the sense of decay of the world, oddly enough, even though it's something coming back into it. So mm-hmm. anyway, loop hero definitely treat me real well. Good. Yeah. Glad, glad you dig it. I, you know, I was all but certain you would. Oh yeah. Um, so Paul, what, what have you been playing? Um, I put a bow on uh, Resident Evil 3 remake. Um, I won't, I don't have a, a whole ton to say about it, except that it really 
redeems itself. Uh, the the opening is was such a turnoff for me. Yeah, you know, I remember you said, saying that actually. Yeah, those scripted sequences of being chased and quick time events and. Uh, but once the game finally lets you loose in these environments, like the hospital especially, um, the shooting zombies, it just always feels good, you know. And Isn't that the truth? Uh, I have just, I love the inventory management in the Resident Evil games as well. Like, I just found four bullets. Like, yes, you know, I'll, I'll, this will keep me going. Or I found some gunpowder so I can make magnum rounds or... Uh, oh, but shoot, I don't have enough space in my inventory. So, you know, do I combine these things now? Or I love all the little decisions that it that it gives you there. Um, Is the and, save mechanic one where like, you know, if you die, you go back to the save point where you had the, the inventory as opposed to the uh, Bioshock experience of you die and you need to reloot your very limited resources? Right. No, it, it's the former. So, yeah, you would. Yeah, you the would, class, which is the classic Resident Evil. Uh, save mechanic if I remember correctly anyway yeah. so yeah I mean I don't know about you personally I as you know um, having to be super resource careful in a shooter isn't exactly my favorite but I think it's much more manageable and a much more interesting experience when it can be structured that way uh, as opposed to you have to scrap for stuff and then you're gonna have to re-scrap and grind it back out to have a shot at say a right. boss next time right yeah. And yeah, the, maybe the difference as well between like a straight up shooter and like a survival horror experience as well, kind of coloring your expectations. Absolutely. Because if it's regard. a survival horror experience, you shouldn't be resource rich. It's not much of a survival vibe if you have just everything you need. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, flawed game, kind of short, um, but I still, I still was drawn back to it. You know, it was, it was still fun. Um, and then they put threes out on Apple Arcade, and I'd never played threes. It's just a super smart match three game with a sort of a little wrinkle um, where Indeed. you have to make the threes out of a one and a two, and then you can start doubling up a three with a three and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it gives this sort of strategic layer on top of just the sliding stuff around um, where you're managing your ones and twos as well as trying to get the big 48s or whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, if you and or our guests are on Game Center, I'd love to compete for some high scores going forward. Yeah, I have threes on Android and, um, I may well have to pick it up on, uh, on iOS as well, since I certainly do game on the iPad and I am a big fan of threes, uh, 2048, which is kind of a threes, not exactly a clone available free on the internet. If you're thinking about checking out threes and listening to this, uh, pod and, you know, you want to say like, well, let me try something free first. Uh, you know, check out 2048 because it's a simpler game built on the same concept. And if it grabs you, then threes definitely, definitely will. And uh, for a number of years, I taught a four-week online course on intro to game design. And I actually assigned 2048 uh, in week one of, of that course, um, you know, every time because it's a great game to think about what makes a game, what kind of design choices uh, kind of went into this. How might somebody have arrived at this? And I think that that's even more of the case with threes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, we will move into our next segment. What I love about. And Moses, why don't you tell me what you love about? I don't think I've talked about this before, um, and I certainly hope not. Um, and Paul, you'll catch me if I have, and then I'm going to have to punt and come up with something else that I love about. <laughs> sure. But what I love about games is the freedom to fail. Um, games are like little failure factories, 
But I mean that in the best possible sense, that unlike real life, it might be frustrating as all heck when you like, you know, when you fail in a game, but failure has no real cost. Like we talk in theory about how you're supposed to be able to fail and failure is like a, a groundwork for learning in school, but failure in school has real, real costs. Like you're in a, you know, fixed term and you're going to get a grade and that grade can follow you and inform what other opportunities you have. And failure in games truly is just an opportunity to learn, even if it's the opportunity to learn, you know what, I really freaking hate this game. <laughs> Fuck this game anyway. I'm never playing this game again. Um, you know, two hours later. All right, let, let me try and play that game again. So that is, I mean, it's it, it's a big thing. I know a lot of the time I've talked about some more granular what I love about, but but what I what I truly love about games is is how um, the opportunity to fail and try again is just built into games. It, it's it's a huge part of what makes games play and not something else. Yeah. Now, for you and your experience, would you say that failure feels different? And I, I mean, I'm sure it feels different, but feels different in a big way when you are playing a game like a roguelike versus a game that has like structured levels, like, okay, I failed at chapter three, so I'm going to restart chapter three. Instead of in a roguelike, I failed, so now I'm dead, and I start over with nothing. Like, are there appreciable differences for your experience in that? Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, and so there's, there's fundamentally a, a difference in say, like, take a, take a classic platformer. Well, I mean, okay, not too classic because if you fail hard enough at like original <laughs> Super Mario Brothers, it almost is roguelite, you know, like you can, you can run yourself right out of lives and basically be back at the beginning. Right. Um, but, um, but if you take it like a little bit further, games got slightly gentler than that and kind of, kind of most games that are structured that way. Uh, most mission-based kind of modern games, the cost of failure is that you go back and you get to try again. You know, mm -hmm. you might have to restock some stuff. You might have to grind something. Not a big deal. It can be frustrating if you're like close. It can be frustrating if there's a part of a designed level that you just keep fucking dying on, right? Like where it's just like, uh, where it feels arbitrary, especially, although sometimes it's not. Um, and certainly like a, fully proper roguelike where it's like, well, I am back to the damn beginning. That's going to be more punishing for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and you get stuff in the middle, like dark souls where it can be very, very frustrating to die. But you know, the worst that you've lost is a huge pile of souls and some liquid humanity, which is bad when you say have two liquid humanity stacked and like thousands and thousands of souls, you, that is a very, very much like walk away for the moment type of moment usually. Mm -hmm. um, but it is still somewhere in the middle because the ability to kind of pop right back up and give it another shot is still there. And then of course there's the third category of failure, which is cooperative. Um, and that's actually probably the worst in my opinion, because then you're failing other people, even if they shouldn't get angry about it. And even if they don't get angry about it, in fact, actually, I feel worse if people don't get angry about it than <laughs> if they're like, childish, you know, or actual children yelling at you over, uh, over voice on, on your console. Um, then I'm just like, uh, okay, you take yourself in this game way too seriously. Whereas like if I'm gaming with a friend and, uh, and I drop the ball, I actually tend to feel, feel worse about it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I like that observation. Uh, for me, um, what I love yeah. about, uh, the Yakuza series is a whole hell of a lot. Um, to touch on the the sort of story element, it's this gritty crime drama set in this uh, part of this little 
uh, well, it's called Kamurocho. It's this part of Tokyo. And you'll have people getting their pinkies chopped off, you know, murders, all, all sorts of horrible things. Um, but then you'll have like, it'll lurch into melodrama with you're meeting this little kid and, you know, she's huh. sad about something and you're going to have to find out why or completely batshit insane side stories. Like there's this person who says she's from the future and she's time traveling and you can have a dialogue with her or like race go-karts through the city or manage this like cat fight <laughs> wrestling association. Um, with, but then yeah, cats? Like exactly. Feelings? Yes. Yep. No. Awesome. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, terrible then, too. Like, like we should be clear in, in real life, neither of us remotely endorses pitting animals against each other. Right. Right. I think you were joking. I'm not sure. <laughs> Cause it is women. <laughs> I'm actually genuinely disappointed because I thought it was like, you know, like dog fighting is a real thing. Dog fighting is a real thing in a video game. Why not actually have cats fighting? It did yeah. not seem like a stretch. All you video game developers out there, consider putting a cat fight into your next game. Yeah, or or don't. There's another way you could go. <laughs> I, I like that too. I like that too. Unless um, it's like hyper cats, so. hyper stylized, like cats doing uppercuts. That could be that could be kind of fun. Um, but uh, the I guess the one of the main things I love about it is you can go into first person, and it's always set in this same little part of Tokyo, Kamurocho, and you gain familiarity with it as you are walking these streets. Uh, and it's actually modeled after a real life location as well. Um, but the games take place in various time periods. So you actually get to see, uh, okay, now instead of the Don Quixote little shop, there's now a police station here, or this giant building that they're constructing in this game is now complete in this game. So the the city it's uh, sort of cliche nice. but like the city itself becomes this other character that you're familiar with and going back to and then seeing oh my god like i said the, the don quixote's gone uh and so i don't get to hear the little jingle that they play in the store don 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 donkey don donkeyote dead and it's in japanese but uh yes brilliant. which i don't know so, if that's you know, a real like, store you know, but you know finish digging out the I know putting in the um, you know condominiums over where the dock. Oh wait, no, that's the wire. Sorry, <laughs> I haven't haven't seen it. I, I hear it's good. As just your comment about the cliche of the the city being a character, I think that maybe before that show, people didn't consider that to be a cliche, uh, but it was a very very pronounced effort and something that the directors talked about, writers directors talked about. But uh, yeah, no, that's I I do love that though, and I think it's also unusual. Um, it you know. I mean, GTA by comparison just chooses these different settings. So you never see that kind of development across games. And it does mm -hmm. feel like um, to, to create that permanence of place, but then the place being kind of, you know, changing over time. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly dig it. I, I had one more idea, but it's, it's fleeting away, which is a-okay. Um, we will move things along it can next... be an addendum. We, uh, you know, I haven't had very many of those yet. So, uh, that is, yeah, that is very true. Um, we will move along to our next feature, the fighting game minute. And we oh, had yeah, another I know for this. We had another good old time, Moses. Why don't you start things off? Yeah. So I, I don't know if this is going to wind up becoming part of our regular flow. It certainly wouldn't be bad if we if we played Grand Blue Fantasy versus more than once a week. 
But as long as we're playing it at least once a week, it's certainly keeping me satisfied. Um, and uh, and as as with last episode, we played last night because for the last episode, we'd actually traveled to also play last last night, time traveled, and then you know exactly. gone back and recorded it. And, and now we're, you know we just kept playing, um, which is Not all nonsense. All but no, um, we played last night. I decided to switch it up instead of uh, running Catalina or Gran, who as previously discussed have very similar move sets, and I feel quite comfortable with. Um, I also didn't want to jump back to fairy whose moveset is too wild for me at this point in time. Um, so I decided to check out Percival. Um, I think it was Percival, not Lancelot. Yes, it was. Um, the fiery one. Yes. And, uh, that will only be funny if you actually have played this game. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a nice set of matches, uh, because in part, I think, uh, I think he's, he's a fun character for me to play. Um, his moveset is very different, uh, but has a similarity in terms of he fights with a sword. So just that actually defines his moveset as being a little bit more, and I, I'm just speculating on the game that this is a consistency, but I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, unless your character is extremely short, if they use a sword, they, um, <laughs> they probably have a somewhat similar uh, set of base attack moves. So it meant that I knew that the third attack is going to be kind of a long slashing strike which meant that I was not stuck in a weird corner if, uh, if you had me a little bit pinned uh, through, a, through a way that you were approaching the fight. That, that was something where I was like, okay, I should be able to use that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I have more thoughts, but I, I, I want to get, get your input on that. Where, yeah. where did it go? Yeah, definitely enjoyed it. It seems like a, a good matchup for us. Um, uh, you, the moveset for, I keep wanting to call him Pierre. Um, What's his name again? <laughs> I have Pierre written Percival. down. First of all, because there are oddly several Arthurian knights in this game, even though right. they're they're not. But no, and I mean, he is really snooty. So I can see why you wanted to. I totally. mean, it's a stereotype, but yes. But yeah, he has some like rising strikes that uh, can really mess up my game plan, you know, with my pogo move with, with Zeta or coming at, a, at an angle with the spear dash kind of thing. And something yeah, he has I... an overhead slash as well as that, that rising attack. Mm-hmm. That is uh, also seems to be good defensively, which is one of the re- reasons I wound up sticking with him because I've noticed you really do like those aerial attacks. With yeah, um, and one thing I noticed was happening because one of my favorite things to do is I will run towards you and then duck and do a, a little kick combo. It's like a four or five hit kick combo, and I've noticed that you have begun anticipating that, so you will do a a ducking uh, guard. Um, and I, yeah, I, absolutely. I never managed, which, which you used to great effect. Um, and then what I was trying to do, because there's a dedicated button, I think it's one of the triggers that does like an overhead slash kind of a thing that will do damage if the person is ducking and blocking. So what I've been trying to do is rush at you with the hopes that you'd think I'm doing that and then transition into that overhead strike. Um, and I tried it like five or six times and each time you made a different choice and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. But, uh, but yeah, getting getting familiar with each other's uh, stuff that we throw at each other, and then anticipating it and planning accordingly, uh, is very satisfying. It absolutely is. And um, you know, the one thing about Zeta is that if you pin me at the start of the fight, I mean, I can recover from it. Um, maybe never financially, but no, I can recover from it. But 
but it, it can be really hard. It actually, not, not psychologically in terms of I wouldn't want to rematch, but psychologically just for that round in terms of being like, oh man, how am I going to get past the fact that I just lost whatever, a sixth of my health bar um, just by like not managing to get that defensive guard up between the first and second flurries of, of attacks. Uh, but it's, it's super enjoyable. And I mean, I think there's, there tends to be a little bit of a flow for you and I, when we're, we're doing head to head stuff. Um, you are a more natural gamer than I am. So I'm often doing a little bit of catch up, but it'll be like, you'll get out up on, on top of something. And then, you know, a few rounds later or a couple of, uh, of days of, of play later and all of like figured out, Oh, wait, Hey, here's how I can kind of manage this. And it keeps our, uh, what I'll call a virtuous cycle. Um, of progression going in terms of both of our skills, just having to keep, uh, keep rising a little bit to, to keep the match going. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, to rejoining the fight. Yeah. Same. And if there's one thing I don't like about Percival, it is that the vast majority of the time he is just a really stuck up bastard. Yeah. Uh, I ended up getting really sick of my character's voiceover. Uh, so I switched the spoken language to Japanese. Oh, that's brilliant. So I'm sure the content will be the same, but the tone, you know what I mean? It, it might be a little more. Well, I mean, I, I won't understand it. So that'll be a tremendous. <laughs> also, also true. <laughs> yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, to future bouts of Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which uh, will bring us into our next segment. Paul, with your baseball update. Baseball has uh, come back this uh, week after a two-week uh, off-season, much to my delight. Um, I got to show uh, my friend Alicia how to play, and she's a convert. Like, she loves baseball already. She's she's a, a New York New York Millennials stan, um, and I had a, had a ton of fun showing her that. Uh, there's definitely some scary stuff going on in baseball. Uh, Chorby Short, our beloved frog witch. Um, is currently being observed. And uh, earlier observed today- sounds very menacing. Yeah. Um, earlier today, it's because an indebted player hit her with a ball or hit a ball at her. Uh, and uh, earlier in the season, Wyatt Glover was observed and then he just straight up vanished. He wasn't incinerated. He's not in the shadows. He's just gone. And when you actually find his- little page it says he's been redacted and oh, wow. we don't know that, what that means that's terrifying are, are there persistent records of like all the previous games yes th through various means some within the actual site itself and some with like an external site but yes you can go back and and look at it i mean i wonder if uh if he exists if you go back well yeah people have combed over that and he you see the thing where he gets like the ball gets hit at him or he gets hit with the ball or something. And then, uh, then yeah, he's, he's gone. Uh, so the watched or the observed, uh, buff only lasts for nine days, like nine in-game days. So we're just hoping that Chorby can manage to not get redacted because that she's gotten so good. She used to be awful and we loved her, but now she's good at baseball and we love her even more. Um, so yeah, just a few more games to go and we're, we're hoping, but the, there's th thoughts that maybe there will be some new teams, uh, coming in. Um, the website blazeball2.com has been updated and now the gates to heaven are like smashed open. Uh, so, uh, 
what could that mean? Maybe all the redacted players are going to be put on a new team, which would actually be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that would be definitely epic. That would be definitely epic. I mean, I wouldn't want to be redacted in real life. It just sounds terrible. Right. Uh, the other cool thing I'll mention, because each week they roll out new stuff, uh, there's something called the Global Feed, which is uh, just a catalog of events that have happened. And you can give a peanut to each distinct event, and that gives it some kind of weight so that it goes to the top of the Global Feed. Uh, and feed could also be ominous because peanuts are associated with the shelled one who is kind of the villain of baseball even though he was defeated by the squid uh so it's it's a it's a spooky time for sure i peanuts and squids I mean, it's a wild world you live in yeah but yeah definitely uh you know as always happy to have baseball back for another three weeks um and let me, I'm curious, Mo, I, I wouldn't at all be like, Mo, you got to do this, because I understand, well, I understand. But are there moments when you're like, hmm, I really got to see what this is all about? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I was noticing in my Google uh, Gmail spam folder, my Google mail, oh God, I'm an old person, <laughs> um, in my Gmail spam folder, that um, there was something baseball related that had found its way into spam. And I was looking at it and I was going, huh, I, I, I wanted to read it. But I was like, the reason why I haven't started playing baseball in the first place is time actually. Yeah. Um, is a concern that it could be a real time suck and that it might not be worth engaging in without giving it at least its due. And sure. that's kind of a thing I have. It's kind of like the reason why I don't try and play chess. If somebody says, hey, do you want to play a game of chess? Like, sure. But I don't spend time trying to get remotely all right at chess because it's a game that deserves its due. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying baseball is chess. I'm just saying that I respect it. <laughs> totally. Totally. And yeah, as, as the weeks go by, uh, who, who knows, uh, you know, we may, we may get you in yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or in perhaps, uh, at least a, a kind of remote, uh, poking around so that I understand a little bit more about what's going on in their status. Like that seems to me to be like actually what I'm actively contemplating. So your question is timely is like, how can I start exploring it more without actually committing to, to, to playing the game where I'll feel really like, okay, I should be spending time right. where I could get just a little bit of an update of what's going on in that world. Um, and I don't know, I, are there any specific uh, blogs or anything like that um, that you would recommend to me or to the baseball curious or to other baseball players who might just not uh, have found those resources? Yeah, uh, baseball news network is uh yeah your your go-to spot they do power rankings before each season kind of giving their opinion on how things are going to shake out with the various teams uh and other kinds of write-ups uh so yeah I, I i enjoy that website uh i guess one other thing I'll, I'll mention since the the door might be open a crack there is an item called breakfast which gives you coins for not opening up baseball oh fascinating so the longer you go between looking at it again, uh, uh, the more coins will be waiting for you when you do. So okay, food for thought, uh, metaphorically. Breakfast for thought in this case, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that was your baseball update. And we will now move along to our guest spot. Um, very happy to have this person joining us. We've known her for quite some time. Uh, please welcome to the show, Wendy Wilbur. Hello, Wendy. Hello. How are you guys? Doing just great. Thanks a lot for being with us. Yeah. 
Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. So Wendy, you and Moses have been friends for, uh, I don't know, 13 years, maybe. Yeah. When you uh, first moved to Madison. Yeah, we met. Yeah, and I've known Wendy for uh, almost the same length of time. Um, she is, well, I don't know any other way to put this, uh, my ex-wife. <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. It is It is true, uh, which we mentioned at the top. I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know, of, of some interest, perhaps, or it, may, it might tie into uh, Wendy's topics uh, that, that she's bringing. Um, but before we get to that, Wendy, I had a few rapid fire questions for you. Uh, All right. What's the first game you remember playing? Uh, first game I remember playing is Ladybug on the ColecoVision. Mm. My brother had an Atari and a ColecoVision. And yeah, Ladybug is very vivid. I went back to try to watch, to play it later in life. And I was like, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> is that a, a Pac-Man kind of game? Kind of like Pac-Man, but some of the walls like turn kind of like levers. And so you can control like secret walls and stuff and uh, block in uh, uh, enemies or out enemies. And then you're picking up different fruits. Specifically, there was an eggplant in that game uh, that I remember as well. So interesting. Uh, and was it something that that your older brother like played a lot of and you would watch or did you really get into it yourself as well? I really liked playing that one myself. I definitely grew up uh, as the younger sister. Uh, my brother was four and a half years older than me. So I was very lucky to have someone that was on the uh, kind of upper edge of technology and wanting to get gaming systems. Um, but it was, uh, you know, a little sister is very uh, persuasive and annoying. Uh, so there's going to be a certain point in games, as long as they're not single player games like Legend of Zelda, that uh, you're going to hand over the controller because your mom makes you. <laughs> right. Um, I've just got to say the uh, box art for this, because uh, I'm recognizing it faintly mm -hmm. now that I'm, I'm looking it up on, on Google Images. The, uh, there, there's something just weird about the 70s, or yeah, I guess this came out in 81, um, but the box art is wild. Yeah. There's like a scantily clad woman, maybe wearing like a, a Santa's helper kind of suit with some very brightly colored wings. It's I don't I'll be honest. I don't recall that. I just remember actually the gameplay and eating the different, um, the different fruits and vegetables as the ladybug. And then like, you know, running away, hiding in the corner, waiting for the things and then going, you know, very Pac-Man-esque. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, the, the, the game screen looks familiar. And then I like scrolled down a little further. And I was like, wait, what the heck is that? And no, I didn't remember seeing that either. But of course, you know, it was 1980 or whatever. And so, yeah. Our dog probably chewed up the box. <laughs> I definitely get Killer Queen vibes from the from the art here. I, I dig it from the from the box yeah. art. Tell us uh, next, if you would, a uh, about a memorable gaming disappointment. Memorable gaming disappointment. Um, I mean, there's always kind of like the, again, this like sad younger sister that wants to play a game that's a single player game and, uh, you know, never getting time on the controller. Uh, but uh, I will say that probably as an individual gamer, I really enjoyed uh, Final Fantasy uh, eight and then nine. And I think 10, I got to like 75% through it. 
and then just got locked up on a boss somewhere and was just mm. like, nah, ah, screw it. I'm just going to watch the cutscenes on the internet. <laughs> That's too bad. I wonder if it was Seymour. I'm, you... I'm probably, it was one of his versions yeah. or Aeon's uh, evolved, uh, see, probably. Like, I think it was like the three-headed one where you had to go through like the cycle of like different, uh, was it mock No, there's always Machina, but I don't know what that specific was in that Yeah, game. I just, yeah, I remember fighting him up on, on a mountain and I almost gave up too, because mm -hmm. fuck that guy, fuck Seymour. <laughs> oh my God, they did a good job making him just so hateable. Yeah, yeah, he was atrocious. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, would, final question. Would that have been, that have been Seymour Butts? <laughs> you know, Seymour Butts here. I think you it was. They, you go. I was gonna say, you know, they told that joke behind his back all the time, but. I think it was. I Seymour just want to say, people. I just want to see more butts. <laughs> I think it was Seymour Guado, but I think it was Seymour Guado Butts because the butts, the Guado are a race, and ah. they've got nice butts. They do. They're nice swimming, right? Exactly. Takes strong, it to level. strong buttock muscles. Um, well, my final question for you, Wendy, what's your favorite game? This is a hard one. I did some thinking on it. Um, and I think I'm going to have to say Rayman uh, in terms of that uh, family of games. And then just that game in general, I remember going to the video store in my local town and renting that multiple times to be able to get through it eventually. Uh, and then, uh, I really have enjoyed the other Rayman games in the, uh, kind of the evolution of the series and the way that they use music, uh, along with the motion. And, uh, it just has great, uh, great music design is super poppy and colorful and fun and engaging also lots of little hidden secret things so coming from an era of like mario brothers where you got to find all them stars uh you got to find all those oh what are they called the lumens lums? yeah oh, the yeah. lums the yeah. lums uh so like yeah that's a that's a fun one and i really I think going back to a game, I think that's probably one I would go back to to play through with folks. And then, you know, as they made multiplayer on that, it was also super fun to play with a, a, a larger group of people. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you and I had a ton of fun on one of the mm -hmm. latter day Rayman games. Like you said, with the, the, it was like Black Betty and you're sliding <laughs> through this castle and every single beat is synced up with what you're doing in the game. Uh, really impressive stuff. And then I just remember you can just slap your your friend, like like really rapid fire slaps. And sometimes we'd slap each other a little too much, um, but uh, it was all in fun. It was, but I always got annoyed because I was like, "We're trying to get here. Now I died again. <laughs> we got a bubble." So uh, it was Mario, but yeah, close enough. Yeah, right. They're all the same. So I also have a few questions for you. Uh, as our format goes, I ask uh, the, the customized questions. Mm. Um, so I have a different type of favorite game question. Uh, all three of us, uh, you know, much as Paul and I often talk about kind of bigger games, hard games, whatever on this, on this pod, uh, all three of us like casual games. Um, what's your favorite game to relax? You know, that's a, that's a great question and interesting because I don't game a lot right now. Um, well, it doesn't I need to be currently. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on you know casual games you played, whether on the phone or otherwise, where you go like, ah, this is just something that you've enjoyed a lot, just to like 
semi-mindlessly take your, take your mind off things, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I really enjoy in terms of these days, uh, in terms of ways to connect with people, the Jackbox uh, suite of games. Um, that's where I tend to get my gaming in these days. Though I will say that I was on a really big Carcassonne kick a few years ago that was really enjoyable in terms of you know, ways to connect with people. And then also um, I really enjoy Carcassonne as a board game. And I think I, you mentioned it on a previous episode. I think the port of that to, uh, to online uh, and uh, video game has, is really good. And I actually learned how to play the game better, I would say, uh, on board games. Yeah. Uh, from playing the game online. So. Oh, I hear you on that. I, the human, real human players wind up doing things that are very different from the AI, right? And so that can be frustrating um, after you've gotten really masterful at, at, at managing the AI. But I, I agree with you that I, I learned Carcassonne a lot better after uh, after playing it so extensively on uh, on the iOS. Yeah, so I will say. Thinking, oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say as well, though. Uh, there was uh, many a years that uh, Spelunky was, I think, a great just kind of. Uh, hangout game that would play, you know, for a few levels to see, uh, you know, to A, to burn time, but it was just also such a fun game and the way that the levels auto-generate, um, it's really challenging. Uh, I have heard such challenging and interesting things about Spelunky 2. I haven't played it yet and I would love to, but I also know that's like a game that I would probably need a bit of time to, uh, and would like a bit of time to play uh, consecutively. Absolutely. Definitely. And on that note, I will say now that we're all getting vaccinated, we'll get to start hanging out again. Yay! And I'd love to have you over for some Spelunky too. That'd be great. Oh my gosh. I'd love that. I am vaccinated. Thank you, JJ. JJ? Oh, Johnson JJ. and. Yeah. Yep. Got that nice. triple J. One and so. done. Yeah, right, obviously, right. I'm just going to get on a plane specifically to come play Spelunky with the two of you. Cool. Because um, they don't have an online system for that. Because you can't do both. It's oh, very you can't for it. Spelunky 2 lets you play online, but it does not let you do a hybrid, uh, you know, mm. couch and online co-op. And I'm sure that there are perfectly good technical reasons for that, um, but it's still annoying. So, because there are other games that have found a way to kind of make something like that happen. Yeah. Um, All right. We'll put that on the list for when you visit Wisconsin. We got, we got the Spelunky in the can. Oh, you're definitely going to have to log some Spelunky time. <laughs> All right. I'm actually going to skip a question that I had because it's not as interesting. Uh, and I want to get to I want to get to, you know, what you've got to talk about. But I will ask you two other questions. What is the worst game to watch Paul play? <laughs> I like it. Oh, this is so this is great. Uh, <laughs> I didn't expect this one. Um, hmm. Uh, we'll say the family of Metal Gear games <laughs> because there's so goddamn many of them and there are all so many snakes and they're all so solid except for the ocelots and except for that one. What? And they're weak. You know, it's just, uh, I, I love watching games vicariously and I love like, like watching for the stories and stuff. And there were many times I'd be like, wait, what's going on in this one? You're like, well, this is this one. And then this one, he's actually this guy, but he's his dad. And he's actually a clone. And then I'm like, cool. All right. I want to go work on crafts. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and my last question for you, before we hand you, hand you the mic, hand you the lead. What is the scariest thing you have ever been chased by in a game? <laughs> uh, uh, well, 
PT is not fun uh, just because it's kind of the, like what you don't know. And uh, yeah, um, you know, as much as I don't like, I definitely have like a fear of getting chased and I don't like horror movies, but I do like horror movies. I like watching it and like the experience with other people and that like kind of visceral thing. I think it comes from like when I was a child and not allowed to watch horror games because my overactive imagination. Amnesia was pretty bad. Those weird pigs, right? Yeah, in or- the, I think it was the sequel, A Machine for yeah. Pigs. Yeah. yeah, that one was really frightening. <laughs> Um, and just like the, like, it kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up just that kind of like, and I think it was partially because of the dynamic of like, you know, not being able to look and the heart beating and all that stuff. Now that I'm actually talking about it, I'm going to say probably the original Resident Evil, (laughs) getting chased by weird wild mutant dogs. Cause I had an ex that was once like, Oh, you should play resident evil. And then like set me up in front of the TV and turned off all the lights in the room. And then just like proceeded to be like, yeah, you shouldn't play it. And I was like freaked out. And then at some point I was just like, no, no more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's partially, I don't care for like, I'll watch someone else play the horror game. But when my, when my hands are on that controller, like the pressure and the like, Yeah, gets too much, too much for me. Oh, there's something significantly scarier about playing a horror game than uh, than watching someone else play it for sure. Yeah. I totally hear you on that. Yeah. One. Well, excellent. But Paul and I played uh, Until Dawn and that was super fun. There were certain yeah. parts where I would play where it was like, I kind of expected that like there wasn't super like technical stuff happening where like anxiety wise, I would be able to handle like the buttons and stuff. And then there was other parts where I'm like, not handing that off. You are handling this part because you're getting chased by a dude with a machete and there's bugs. (laughs) (laughs) And bugs. Forget about it. Right. So. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for those fascinating questions and answers. Uh, And yeah, Wendy, we will turn it over to you for uh, whatever you'd like to discuss. Yeah. So I wanted to just kind of chat a little bit about kind of like my background and where I come from in gaming and um, but kind of talk about being a vicarious and opportunistic gamer. (laughs) Um, And so like framing that in the sense that like I'm because I grew up in the age of the 80s with an older brother, as I said, who was four and a half years older than me. My first introductions into gaming technology were the super early days of the Coleco Atari. I remember my brother getting the original NES and watching him. We got a SNES when it came out. We got a PS1 when it came out. And I remember that was like, what? It had it had CDs that went in it. It was great. Um, and so I have super vivid memories of playing games with my family. Um, and so I've been a really adept gamer, I would like to say, but um, I am definitely someone that engages with gaming as an extroverted person and in more of a connecting over competing sort of a way of approaching it. Um, and I think part of that comes from, again, kind of growing up in the 80s and 90s where, you know, in school we started having things like Oregon Trail and Carmen San Diego and Civilization and these like kind of learning collaborative games um, and kind of educational quote unquote games. Uh, And then also like going to Aladdin's castle and, you know, playing video games where if you didn't have them in your house that you 
got to go play them there, but it wasn't necessarily, I'm going to go log 60 hours in my bedroom and play this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a lot shorter format, uh, a lot, uh, I would say a little more bang for your buck. And as a, uh, a then at that point, undiagnosed woman with a child with ADHD, makes a lot of sense of why that hit a, like a sweet spot for me and why those longer format games were probably a little not in my wheelhouse, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and so I really enjoy the like the act of like collaborating and creating and connecting through games. And um, I oftentimes will throw out the idea of like, I'd rather play life in a, co- in a co-op rather than a versus way. Mm-hmm. And looking at things that way, Um, just because I think I have so many memories of those collaborative and fun times. Um, And that doesn't mean that like you can't have competition either, Um, because, you know, growing up, we had when we first had our first PC. I remember this game, which we called Tanks, which is actually I looked it up called Scorched Earth. Oh, shit. And so it was, we called it Tank Wars, which Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what the real name was, but again, it was, it's called Scorched Earth because I looked it up and it was this year, these little, these little tanks and you're shooting these different things. And I just remember sitting around the computer with like three or four of us, like my brother, me and my parents all playing this computer (laughs) game and just like cackling with laughter of like, oh, you know, you broke, oh, this one fell and then you died. And they're like, you want to play another one? Yeah. You know? And so it being a really fun time. um, And so, you know, but again, also kind of like short and almost like compact times that are less about the the grind, if you will. Um, and, and also the grind is not so much my, uh, not my wheelhouse also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I really appreciate gaming and I love it. And I, uh, really appreciate the art and like the stylization. Um, but like as a, you know, sister slash sibling slash partner, I am like hashtag always Luigi. Uh, and, or hashtag always Luigi. Did I say it wrong? I did. Some um, gamer you are. I know. Get out of here, girl. Um, you know, no. So it's, yeah, it's just, uh, I really, I really appreciated the people in my life that give me access to gaming as well, because I don't have a console at the moment. It's always, again, very vicarious, but I always really enjoy watching games. Like I can remember vividly uh, watching you play through Bioshock and all of that series of games and how like, like, just awestruck I was by the world building and the layers of the storytelling and you know we're getting to the atlas shrug and blah, 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 all that fun stuff um and also just being like hey will you will you play that one level because I want to hear that song mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I just want to see that seer like that sequence um and that was always really a great uh I, I, I always appreciate that aspect of gaming. And it's honestly something I kind of miss in my life right now because I don't have as much access to it. Thanks, pandemic and whatever, all life as it is right now. Um, 
So yeah, and and let's also just put it out there. I watched a lot of Dark Souls. So uh, yeah. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though I will say, like, I really, as much as the Dark Souls is repetitive and the like. Oh, where are you? Oh, okay, you're in the swamps. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, gargoyles. Ding, 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 ding. Cool. Someone killed a gargoyle. Um, you know, like I know a lot of the weird backstory, and I I pick it up, and uh, also the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a favorite like moment or boss or something from from Dark Souls that that comes to mind to you as a as a, as a viewer of Dark Souls? Was it Orton and Smoot? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes. Orton and Smoot. <laughs> Orton and Smoot. And Andy Launder. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Laundrens, you know. Um, all those funny like names are just like, who's that? Good? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get behind the roll. You gotta roll. You gotta yes. roll. <laughs> Not off the ledge, Moses. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not that way. Not like this. <laughs> Yes. What was the, the, I used to always do the, when you would go to the bonfire, the whatever she would say, because you would, you would like X through the thing so fast. That was Dark Souls 2. And it was bear, seek, seek, lest. Oh yeah. Bear, seek, 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 lest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A lot of weird things like that, but yeah. Um, and yeah, you were always a great partner in in that way with with gaming. You know, I mean, you were always up for, you know, I would just have I'm like check this game out that you know nothing about because I want to see, you know, uh, what you think of it and how it might surprise you. Uh, but you were always down for the competitive stuff as well. Uh, you know, you and I played Battle Mode from uh, Mario Three endlessly. It became almost like a religion for us in our our group for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it was definitely like the like evening activity that we would do for a while. It's like, all right, you want to roll a, like a, a three round or five round of battle mill? Yeah. And like, I think we should probably have a Google doc somewhere uh, for a while that we have from the records. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, battle mode. Yeah. Doing that. And then also Spelunky and Castle Crashers for like, how long did we play that game? Uh, with the three of us, because we went through, we ended up going through on regular and beating it on insane mode. Right. Um, that is one. Of, I will say that is one of my little badges of like of gamerhood of being like I beat Castle Crashers on insane mode with three people. Yeah, and it <sighs> was insane. Like it yeah. was months. You know, the four of us would would crowd around the system and you know take little breaks and chill out and listen to the music on the ice level and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coming that over, was working a saga. on saga, right? Working on the desert level again. How long has it been? Oh, we've been on that one for two months. Cool. Right. Oh, right. oh my god! Right. The children gather around the fire and hear the tale of Castle Crashes Insane <laughs> Mode. <laughs> you pick your pick your poison. I I did think it was funny earlier too, Wendy. Though you mentioned, um, like you know, yeah, you're not really about competitive, and I mean. First of all, roller derby. You obviously love both cooperative and competitive. <laughs> and second of all, you have whooped my butt at battle mode so many times. So so so. No, I know, I know you love the cooperative play, but I was like, you are such a fierce competitor too. And when it's when it is the appropriate context. 
thank you. Yes, thank you. I do. I do beat people up quite often at things. <laughs> yeah, I like. I am definitely competitive, and I think that's kind of the fun of that. Like, is there a game that I can be good at and that I can be competent at and compete with people um, that's realistic? Or you know, am I going to get thrown into this game? Uh, or like Smash Brothers and be like, play this game. Like, I don't know what half the buttons are, nor do I remember what they are, or eh, I'll go try this guy now. Like it, like that really didn't get its hooks in me, but mm -hmm. there's other ones and maybe Mario because of the, like the base muscle knowledge and like muscle memory of pay, playing Mario and that type of, you know, 2D side scroller, maybe that just kind of uh, translates well. Uh, to some of the competitive games that I've liked, like Nidhogg as well. Um, I will say that also, honestly, I, I think that there's points in when I was an adult and a gamer before I was diagnosed with ADHD, where I was like, that hyper-focus hits in and you're like, I am really good at this. Whoa. <laughs> and you're like, am I, am I, oh, I'm just super hyper-focused. And you're like, oh, I might. Because I like used to think, am I seeing pixels like move slow? Like what the fuck is wow. going on? Like there was times where like, like, I don't know, my brain would click into a weird gear um, and it was super fun. But also if I didn't have that, you know, it's not going to be something that's going to hook me and I'm not going to stick around for it either. Um, like I remember horse riding in Red Dead Redemption, which was so great. You like set me up with a horse in Mexico and I drove, went north to uh, Canada, right? And then, well, yeah. I don't know Wait. if we're, I don't know if it's the entire continental US, but. Uh... Whatever it was, we started real down south. Right. And then I rode that horse and it was gorgeous. I got to watch sunrises. Beautiful. And then I got killed by a bear at the end because you didn't tell me there were bears in the game and a bear ran out of the woods and attacked me and died. And I was not happy with that. <laughs> I, re I remember you were frightened by the bear. Yes. <laughs> There's bears. Yeah. And I think so. I hit a button and I dismounted the horse on accident. And I was like, ah! that was one of my off of that horse. <laughs> that right. was one of my favorite little things to do as well. Um, one thing that comes to mind, I don't know if you remember the first time you encountered an Enderman in Minecraft, oh. but I uh -huh. relished the whole, because they had updated Minecraft and I had seen the Enderman. I'm like, <laughs> Wendy is going to lose her mind when this thing comes after her. And I'm waiting and I'm watching you play and the Endermen are off in the distance. I'm like, just look at him, just look at him. And then finally you did. And all of a sudden, oh. Yeah, that I think honestly, like the Enderman and the uh, and the spiders in Minecraft, oh, just yeah. the just the worst. If there weren't Endermen, I could deal with the the what are the green ones? Yeah, I could deal with them. I could deal with those jerks. Those Endermen, they're just just a little. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah, so like. I would often in Minecraft just go underground at night because I had no intention of being outside during the daytime. I like dig around, come back up and I'd be like, oh, I missed the window. I got to go back down. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. For me, the Minecraft creeper is actually um, one of the things that just, just like will set me off 
oh, as far as like, oh God, I was not expecting that. And you suddenly hear that that sound and you're like, it's like, oh no, no, not now, not now. Yeah. Not like this. I have my diamond axe. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. I was I, I was down here in these caves and I really thought I'd cleared everything out. And I'm, I've got my diamond axe and all this other great stuff that I found. And I don't need to leave a trail. Fuck it. I'm fine. No, no you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. It's yeah. in the lava now. You're going to have to find more diamonds. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I will also say just a quick callback on this. Um, you and I are, are I don't know. Do you consider yourself Gen X? Yeah, I feel like I'm on the cusp of it because I was born in 80. Um, I, yeah, I, yes, and like, yeah, I mean, like Gen X millennial kind of in that weird. Like, somebody coined Xennial to refer to folks who are within the span of years in which you were born. Uh, but to me, part of it also is really uh, more a question of like context, like what part of the world or country you're in really greatly informs what the generational experience was. And I just so 100% relate to you on the part about uh, arcade games and the arcade experience. And it's something that I probably didn't emphasize sufficiently in the first episode of this pod. Um, But uh, yes, those machines were designed to consume as many fucking quarters as possible. Those games were absolutely designed to be, they have like generally a relatively slow initial on-ramp for the first three to five minutes to get Mm -hmm. you enough. And then after that, the difficulty curve increases super fucking rapidly, except for Centipede, which as far as I'm concerned, just starts out really goddamn hard. Um, (laughs) But that experience is so grounding and such a like uh, inciting moment, I think, for those of us who grew up with arcades and without the home console or even, hey, the home console was, uh, was the Atari, you know, early Atari ColecoVision's which even though I didn't have in the home, certainly as mentioned on this podcast previously experienced those, but the quality of video game experience, not the same as what you could have in the arcade at that point. And so I think having those early arcade game experiences, it absolutely fired the imagination and kind of engagement with wanting to play games for, for me yeah. as well. So I hear 100, you. 100%. And as I was kind of looking and, and doing some reflecting, getting ready to chat with you guys is interesting because you know, within Aladdin's castle, I was like, what did I play? And I was like, uh, I played uh, X-Men, I played Turtles, uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja sort, Um, uh, some Mortal Kombat, you know, I played a bunch of stuff, but I remember like, what became interestingly apparent, and this is probably just me seeing patterns where uh, it is interesting and random, but like I used to always play Storm and it was like the electrical uh, thing. And that through when I played uh, Fable 2, which is one of my kind of like, I really enjoyed the Fable games. Um, When I played Fable 2, that like I really specialized into lightning as well for an attack. I played a lightning attack in Castle Crashers. Uh, I and then strangely enough, I joined a roller derby team that uh, lightning is our superpower as well. Uh, It just is very funny. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I think I'm a chaos witch. (laughs) (laughs) You know your elemental orientation. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Paul, I have a question for you. What was your favorite game to play with me? Mm. I mean, Battle Mode comes to mind, first of all, because that was endless hours of razor sharp 
competition. And like we were savants at that game. Like there are so many weird glitches that just became second nature. Mm -hmm. um, it, Don't step on that one block. <laughs> right. And stun locks and yeah, uh, abusing base. the power block and right. then the stun lock. Yeah. Crossing the crossing the gap of Rohan. Right, crossing the gap of <laughs> Rohan, uh ghosting, <laughs> teleporting. Um oh skating. skating. Oh that skating. was your specialty with skating. Yeah. And then John got really good at that too. So. Yeah. Um so I mean other things come to mind like uh you know especially Spelunky but I don't think anything is going to stand up to battle mode like Aww. uh Nidhog you know was up there as well um but yeah it was definitely definitely battle mode Rad Moses same question I mean obviously we had Rick as our first guest in the Battlestar Galactica plus battle mode uh from the from oh, four of us. Yes. Uh, and then of course we got into a variety of of uh board game mischief with a rotating cast of of interesting characters most of whom are no longer in any of our lives. Um <laughs> Ah the way the world turns. Battlestar yeah. will always bring you together and push you apart. <laughs> right? Got it. I think I might have mentioned this previously. I just recently rewatched the uh, Portlandia episode mm -hmm. with Battlestar, where they, you know, track down the random guy with the writer's <laughs> name. It's like you have to finish the series for us. Uh, anyway, totally not an answer to your question. Um, I think I'm actually going to take the, the the deviation of of an option that that Paul offered there because mm -hmm. I am going to go with Spelunky. I think that the um, Castle Crashers in some ways primed us. For Spelunky, they're very, very different games. Mm -hmm. um, and the Castle Crashers experience was exceptional uh, par excellence. Um, but I think I just personally love Spelunky more as a game. Like Castle Crashers, I could imagine picking it back up and it would be enjoyable to play. But Spelunky, like if we could literally jump on Spelunky remotely mm -hmm. right now, uh, just on, on computers on this call, I would be like, yep, let's do it. Let's just yeah. get, get into it. Uh, it's such a delightful game. And the variation that we got to get into between like hammering out and we had a rhythm to it, right? Which uh, who knows, may reemerge of hammering out some co-op, getting as far as we can um, and, until we beat it, at which point we, we mostly didn't do that and just just did the uh, uh, the versus The versus. I would yeah. be like, can we play, can we just do a couple runs, please, before we kill each other? Thanks. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's cool. Like, I gotta oh, warm let's up. Just start on the, on the ice world and do it, do a challenging run there. Um, I just gotta to make sure my thumbs still work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think I would go with Spelunky. Just such awesome. a So, I do have a question for y'all to uh, kind of wrap up this time. Uh, is, so... What gaming suggestions would you have for me or some other casual gamer that has limited time and attention and also bonus points if it's on Steam or some other online game because I don't have a console uh, and I uh, am trying to engage with my phone less specifically. Mm -hmm. So if I could be specific about like being on a laptop or something, that would be awesome. And uh, I'm going to say no to blaze ball, Paul. I love that's, you, but uh, I'm a pass on that blaze ball. That's totally fine. <laughs> and remember, I don't like being chased. And I don't like right. bugs unless right. I'm jumping on them and smooshing them. Or are one in ladybug. Exactly. Exactly. If I'm in control of the bug, the bug doesn't have me. I have the bug. <laughs> there you go. 
I mean, the, the first answer I, I think is pretty clearly, and Paul will agree with me that Loop Hero just um, got got to do it. It's on Steam, on you know uh, whatever your platform is. It's uh, it is available. Is designed to be played in short uh, sittings. Is also designed to suck you in a little bit. Um, and you know, I'm I'm only like I wouldn't say I only have a toe in it. I'm probably like I don't know calf deep in in the game at this point. You're almost uh, up to the kneecap. Yeah, I'm heading that direction real fast. Paul knows more than I do, but I'm not going to ask him. Um, so, you know, the non-phone or avoiding phone limitation is actually a tougher one because a lot of the short engagement games that I play are actually phone. Um, Paul, what do you want to throw in? And then I've got a couple of other thoughts. Um, there's a game called Littlewood uh, that um, uh, I believe, I know it's on Switch. I believe it's also on, on Steam. And it is sort of like Animal Crossing, uh, well, it's a lot like Animal Crossing, except you can just go to bed whenever you want and it's the next day. So you don't oh. have to wait for the shop to build or the person to move in. Is that a little uh, more like Harvest Moon? Um, there are some elements. There's a little bit of vegetable growing and, and whatnot. Um, Any horses to ride? Not that I know of, um, <laughs> but it's billed as a peaceful, relaxing RPG. Oh. And it definitely fits the bill. Um, I played it a bit. Uh, Joanna went nuts for it. Uh, nice. Played lots. Um, mm. So that would definitely be one. Um, uh, so, and then, Paul, I don't know. If, um, I, this is on PC and I haven't played it. Uh, Untitled Goose Game. Um, yeah. Yeah, you'd like that. Okay, I'll be, I will be, uh, I wanted to play Untitled Goose Game forever. I downloaded it at the beginning of the pandemic and then forgot about it. And I still <laughs> not played it. Okay. So I have that in my steam already. So maybe nice. I will start that honking game and then. Uh, yeah. Another you know. one that came to mind that's a little older, but I don't know if you'd played it was uh, Donut County. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Wendy, you would love Donut County. It's got the best raccoon in a <gasps> video game. Ooh. I think. Really? At least today. Ooh. Yeah. Good pull, Mo. Yeah. What is that called again? Donut County, not Donut, Donut. Country. Donut right. County. DK Country? No. <laughs> no, nope, not that either. Close, not quite. Yeah, that one's very charming, very unique. Uh, definitely check that one out. Um, and then if you want sort of a meteor experience, this game is a masterpiece, plain and simple. Uh, Disco Elysium uh, on Steam. Did we play that or did we just tell me about that? Because that sounds so yeah, familiar. I think I t told you about it. It's a detective game set in like one giant city block, very detailed, uh, you know, lots to do. Yes. And your character can kind of be kind of who you want him to be. You know, uh, he comes out of this drunken stupor at the beginning and is a total fuck up. And <laughs> you can take him in, in various directions. Uh, and your partner, uh, Kim Kutsuragi, uh, as I said on our last episode, I would I would die for him. Like I would, I just love Kim. And if anyone fucks with Kim, you're gonna you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, uh, don't fuck with Kim. Yeah, and they just uh, updated the game, uh, and now it is completely voiced instead of just Ooh. mostly voiced, which is like millions of of lines of dialogue. Uh, it's got the best writing in any game I've I've ever played. Um, so yeah, I would I would recommend that as well. Awesome, that is a great list of uh, of things to look at. I also heard you talk about threes earlier, and while yeah. that does sound interesting and delightful, uh, 
it sounds a little too repetitive Tetrisy for me, and that will get my OCD going. Yeah. So because there is, I will say, oh, I'm a mad Tetris player. And there was some uh some years that I was playing Tetris, and then I had to stop playing Tetris before bed because I would see Tetris in my sleep. Yeah. So it's a phenomenon. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean that actually um makes me wonder because i was going to recommend you know threes is definitely uh, worth consideration um but not not if that's the case um <laughs> and the same might be true of grindstone yeah um like watch a video maybe and see whether or not you feel it would be too much in that corner because grindstone is one that i play like at least once a week i pop on and play a little grindstone even though i've technically like finished the game mm-hmm. um but uh yeah, it's got a match, you know, bejeweled-ish almost quality Ooh. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be a little bit too far in that in that direction. Uh, but it's a great, great short play experience, too. Yeah, so. I come from a long line of great bejeweled players, which by <laughs> meaning my dad loves bejeweled. <laughs> <laughs> a man played bejeweled and probably still does uh, and can rack up points like you would not believe. Yeah, I've He's retired it. now, so, you know, what does he have to do? what can i say it's a great game it is it is addictive yeah well speaking of uh great games and and thank you very Mm. much wendy for that that was fascinating and and a lot of fun uh to to kind of go through some memories and uh and hear hear about all that that was good stuff um thanks we we will move on to our uh final segment i i do have an unfortunate update i couldn't help myself but glance at baseball once or twice during this Chorby Short has been redacted. Oh no, Chorby! No. He's gone. No, Chorby Short. Oh, it's I can't even imagine what the Discord looks like. It must be people just rending their garments. Like what? Uh, she's not dead, you know. She's but just she's just been raptured. It's almost worse though because you can bring players back from the dead sometimes if you try hard enough, and she's just straight up redacted. So. Um, yeah, we will maybe next week. I'll I'll hopefully have some some sort of update for the baseball update. But for now, uh, we will move into our final segment. Make my game. And uh, Wendy, I, I believe you listened to an episode or two, so I think you know the premise here. Okay, great. This week, coming in from Agile Whale Software, everybody hates the outlaw. Reloaded. <laughs> I mean, I personally hated the first one, um, <laughs> which was the point of the game. So, you know, I, I guess it, that means I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Reloaded in a, in a weird kind of way. Um, yeah, Agile Whale Software uh, is, of course, an American indie dev. Right. Um, yeah, they are, uh, I think, are, are they Seattle-based? Is that right? Yeah, Sounds Pacific like Northwest, it. totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, roughly, roughly, roughly the Seattle area. Um, yeah, yeah, no, what is Everybody Hates the Outlaw Reloaded about, folks? Uh, the Outlaw's mother is what that's about. Everybody hates, so explain. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it follows the same general storyline of Everybody Hates the Outlaw. You know, it's, uh, there's, it's kind of a GTA, kind of a, a Red Dead Redemption. Uh, you know, there's some storylines going on there. We find out, you know, Everyone hates the outlaw by the end, spoiler alert. Reloaded, you find out you get to delve further back and find out why and where the outlaw came from. It 
his mother. So it's he like literally a did come from his family. Mother. It's a family. It's a reloaded redux, if you will. Now, are you the outlaw? I, I'm assuming you mm. are, but how, is that where we want to go with this? You know, it's a, or are you fighting the outlaw and that you are in their band in some way? Uh, and how about this? Are you adversaries you... taking the outlaw down? Mm -hmm. You were originally in the first game recruited mm. by the outlaw. Right? Oh, yes. Your early missions are, are working for the outlaw, right? And so the big reveal, of course, over the course of the first game was the flip. That mm -hmm. it turns out that the outlaw is is the the big bad at the end, and you've got to deconstruct his his plans in the final mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so so with Reloaded, um, we've got a similar a similar thing going on. Is the game set in the past? Is that what we're? Oh yeah, Seems oh yeah. Like it. if it's we're gonna, set in the past. If we're like exploring the familial issues that led to this, so maybe in this sort of prequel sequel you are the outlaw and the bad guy as it were is the parent yeah a little oh, binding binding of isaac if you will yeah <laughs> sure but with the same formula right um so it's like set prohibition era is that mm -hmm. that's about yeah. right so, yeah, we got that, mom's that running moonshine yeah yeah and so you start out working for the for the boss of the mob who's your mom mm -hmm. but you don't know you're just like running errands and like She's like sending you to see your uncle, like Fonz down the road to pick up some side jobs. And then you end up getting into trouble. But like, really, she's the one pulling the strings. Mm. I love this. I yeah. love this. And, and yeah. then there's like all these, you know, Easter eggs and stuff that point back to the original game. So that like, you know, because, you know, Agile Whale, they're smart. They're trying <laughs> to get some like, you know, they're going to package this and get some DLC content in there oh, God, to yeah. kind of bridge the gap. Like yeah they're smart you know like they did a really nice job on the one before this that was you know it was like about the seafaring and the pirates and stuff but that you know this one they went western right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah they're not making uh any of those um uh, cyberpunk style mistakes in terms of uh in terms of the game and it sounds like because i was going to ask does the does the player have a choice in how they handle things but if the sequel is already there it sort of locks locks in the story because I, I was thinking in the end do you betray your mother and become the the boss uh, mm. which directly leads into the events of uh the sequel yeah and are there any other siblings involved because that could be another interesting thing you could switch between some sibling stuff if mom is a real narcissist parent you know if you have some golden child and some other like you know, uh, scapegoat issues going on. You could play as both. Mm -hmm. I like and this then, a lot. And it is reloaded, which means that you can have the opportunity to reset the story. So the outcome isn't necessarily locked in. And maybe depending on which of the siblings you wind up kind of taking it out, one of the other siblings or the other sibling, I don't know, um, you know, ultimately is set up to be the the next mob boss and effectively the next, the next bad guy at the end of the, the sequel so that reloaded too, they could queue it up so that, you know, you can kind of pick it up based off of your decision from the previous game might influence your new protagonist. Right. And maybe you need to watch how you need to be careful that you're not too hated. Uh, mm. You're doing things that will make your siblings hate you, but if they hate you too much, then they might just take you out. 
So yeah. there's like a meter for each person and it's kind of like a push and pull. This and brother doesn't like it when you do this, but this one does. And you're managing all of them so that no one of them hates you too much. Yeah. Cause you know that like there's some backstabbing going on. And if like that kind of like fear and intimidation, always the like, you're getting mother's love too much. They're just going to take you down a notch. Mm-hmm. I love this. And I actually think that um, it would be sweet and a very original mechanic if, um, you know, you, you can start out early in the game if you want to trying to balance and like keep everybody kind mm-hmm. of on, on semi-equal footing. But as the game gets into like its its third act, it's going to happen. Some people are going to wind up getting off, you know, uh, mm-hmm. characters one way or another, the uh, the trade-off on, on taking certain jobs or whatever is just going to push it to the point where eventually it's going to slim down the the family a little bit as, as yeah. things kind of get get ugly. Well, then, and if you like, I mean, real like Reddit, like raised by narcissist uh, subreddit, it's a real interesting read, but like, you know, that dynamic of, do you have a golden child? And then the golden child is killed and it upends the dynamics in the family. And then who is the new golden child and who's the new scapegoat and, you know, how that happens. Or maybe mom gets another, uh, oh, mom can also have a rotating cast of uh of side hustles and boyfriends and stuff yeah. like that or partners that are a-holes or not and i mean now we're getting the real family dynamics we should just like yeah, but <laughs> i mean like that a- might be a whole other family dynamic you know n- narcissist simulator game uh which would be fascinating in its own right but uh, there, i think there it, were you know, no uh, there were no references to uh any other parent besides the mother and binding of isaac correct that's a Good question. And I didn't play all of the permutations or all the DLC. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was the mom only. But I mean, I don't mean 100%. to rag on moms. Moms are great, but you know, yeah. everyone's got their issues. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much everybody's got their issues. I think that's accurate. <laughs> it's representative. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So yeah, a third uh, third person crime uh, kind of game with. Uh, relationship meters. Uh, you know, there's got to be a dog in it too, because then that dog is going to get killed in the third act. Oh, God. Somewhere. No. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but you know it's in there. Wow. Right. Can you pet the dog? Yeah, 100%. You the can. Sure. You can until it's dead. It's almost right. worse. I know. It's like, yeah, Fables, that was a real heartbreaking one. When I played that game all the way through and then, like, at the very end, oh, spoiler alert, you have, like your dog dies, you're like, ah! I'm alone. Oh, yeah. Was it when you had to spend like 20 years in prison and you come out and your dog's dead or was it yeah. something else? I, I don't those, recall. Those were interesting games. Yeah. That's to say the least. Yeah. But yeah, Agile Whale, they really uh, they really have to hit it out of the park with this one. Yes. And that was uh, Everybody Hates the Outlaw Reloaded. So if you're a Pacific uh, Northwest developer and you want to name yourself Agile Whale Software and make this game, we'd be all about it. We, we would. You'd have our, our immaterial support. Well, that is Make My Game, and that means it is just about uh, the end of the show here. So we are going to wrap up. Uh, again, big thanks to Wendy Wilbur for being our guest. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks again for having me. Faux show. Um, Moses, any, uh, any final thoughts from you? Nothing this week. Just looking forward to some more Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, uh, you know? Yeah, man. Bring Absolutely. It back. Well, as always, thanks to everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the Clunkers segment, 
uh, please email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.